0: Warning! The following presentation is rated R for Reformed. All theological content will be accompanied by the five solas. Strong and explicit Calvinistic language, persuasive argumentation, and repeated references to sovereignty. This episode may be dangerous for your Arminian friends and family. You have been warned. Well, greetings and welcome to the Logical Belief Ministries podcast. I'm your host, Jason Mullett. Uh, You can visit our website at logicalbelief.org. You can find these podcasts on YouTube and on iTunes. Uh, Just go ahead and subscribe to our channel and our feed there. Uh, You can also find uh, all the audio and the video for this podcast and the related articles if you go ahead and click on the top menu bar item on the website Uh, Where it says podcast and just go ahead and uh, you can see all of them listed there Um, If you want to drop me a line, if you want to ask me a question or give me a word of encouragement uh, You can send an email to jason at logicalbelief.org Just be aware however if you are asking me a question um, or making some comment Uh, you are giving me permission to read it on the air by sending it to that particular email address. You can also reach out to us uh, at Twitter. Um, If you want to, uh, you can find us there and also our Facebook page. Uh, Go ahead and like um, the Facebook page and follow us there. We post different things on there from time to time. All righty. Well, as... uh, the warning at the beginning of this particular episode indicated, as all of uh, <laughs> the episodes where we have discussed uh, been discussing the doctrines of grace uh, Today's topic is going to be uh, Irresistible Grace uh, But before we jump into that, I want to uh, talk about something else that um, uh, is important to me And uh, I find uh, to be uh, beneficial for those uh, who engage in apologetics, who engage in evangelism, who giving people the gospel um, Is uh, is presuppositional apologetics I have a couple episodes on presuppositionalism um, at the beginning of this podcast uh, Actually episodes 1, 2, and 3 were on presuppositionalism uh, But the reason I bring this up is there was recently a debate um, between Uh, Jeff Durbin from Apologia Radio uh, and Apologia Church, located in Arizona. And Cy Tinbergenkate, he is uh, the individual who put out the movie How to Answer the Fool, highly recommended. And also uh, Paul Vigiano, uh, pastor of the church uh, where the debate took place. And they debated three atheists, uh, Bruce Gleason, Andrew Breeding and Sean Taylor uh, Recently And uh, I would encourage you I'm going to go ahead and put uh, this particular debate In the uh, notes uh, For uh, The podcast here on the website uh, So that way you can go ahead and find that So if you want to find the link to that debate uh, The debate was over uh, God's existence and on the Attributes of God And the, the one thing that I just want to um, I, I would encourage all of you guys to watch this, but The the one thing that We need to understand uh, When it comes to presuppositionalism and what you have to have your ears tuned for When you're listening to Unbelievers Those who do not Profess Christ as Lord uh, That is what I would classify anyone who is an unbeliever, but an Atheist Is a specific type of unbeliever But whenever unbelievers And even more specifically Atheists When they Make claims When they argue against Christianity When they make claims against Christianity The thing that I would Encourage you to do Is look at what they're standing on What they're going to be Standing on ultimately Is the Christian worldview They cannot escape it They live in God's world There is no possible way For them to escape God's world And so they will continually Appeal To uh, Absolutes and presuppositions Which belong only within The biblical Christian worldview And are explicitly Denied within their worldview And I'll give you an example um, Like this to maybe help you Understand this Is let's say that there are are two men Who live uh, here uh, since I'm in the state of Florida I'll give the example here So let's say uh, there's Bob and Chris And they live side by side in two houses And uh, Bob has been predicting for the last year That uh, on July 20th That there is going to um, be a natural disaster. It's going to be maybe a Category Six hurricane. It's just going to come quickly out of nowhere. It's going to devastate the area. He truly believes this. He claims, and he is. He's telling people all the time that that he believes that this natural disaster will occur on the twentieth of July. Now, Chris, his neighbor, uh, says that he does not believe this. So. So Bob believes the natural disaster will occur, and Chris says he does not believe it. However, as you observe Bob and Chris's lives approaching July twentieth, you will see uh, two different types of um, actions occurring. You'll see Bob; he's um, he's just going to work every day. Um, he uh, hasn't bought any additional food. He hasn't made any sort of preparations. Uh, for this upcoming disaster that he claims uh, that is going to happen um, He ha- hasn't done really anything at all um, He's not boarding up the windows in his house He hasn't bought a spare generator he hasn't, he hasn't really done anything at all Now Chris on the other hand, the one who denies that this happens That this is going to happen, he doesn't believe it at all Is however, uh, he's been stocking up on food Um, He has uh, prepared a bug-out vehicle for his family And he's been boarding up his windows and uh, He recently videotaped all the contents of his house for uh, homeowners insurance And uh, On July 18th, two days before the 20th, you see him piling his family into uh, Their bug-out vehicle and they take off. They leave the state Now you could uh go up to bob on the 19th uh before he's the one who has been predicting this and say bob so you said tomorrow's this big natural disaster is going to hit it's going to wipe out devastate the area kill thousands of people what are you doing about it um well i'm not doing anything i'm just you know living my life i said well do you believe this is going to happen absolutely 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 and you know Whatever happens on the 20th is really irrelevant. The point is, we have these two individuals. One professes to not believe something, but he lives his life as if he does believe it. And then uh, Bob, who claims to believe it, also lives his life inconsistently with his profession. And so what we have here is two individuals. One would be as a Christian, somebody who claims to be a Christian, who, who says they are a Christian Claims the name of Christ But they don't live a life Consistent with that proclamation uh, Within Christian circles We would call that a false convert We would call that somebody Who hasn't um, <clears throat> demonstrated Repentance in their life They haven't demonstrated Being a new creation uh, they, they don't live their life Consistent with their profession Now The atheist is like Chris Chris claims that he doesn't believe this, but yet he lives his life and he has actions which are the result of the presupposition that this actually will happen. And so that's what you will see with an atheist. An atheist will claim that he doesn't believe that there's any ultimate purpose. There is uh, no personal being that determines and has an ultimate purpose to reality So reality is absolutely purposeless um, As uh, Dawkins himself said uh, Said that the universe uh, All it has is blind Pitiless indifference There's there's no ultimate Purpose to anything uh, We can't uh, know anything To be objectively true uh, There's no Such thing as absolutes Um but interestingly enough, they don't live their lives consistently with their profession. They will say there's no absolutes, there's no ultimate purpose, there's no there's no objective morals, there's no there's none of these things. But but yet in a debate they cannot stay consistently upon the worldview in which they profess. And that's what I would encourage you to. As Christians when you encounter unbelievers And this applies really to all unbelievers Anyone who does not profess Christ Will not have a world view In which they can actually consistently live by Um, And their world view in itself Will ultimately be self-refuting or contradictory in nature Only the Christian world view is the only one That provides the necessary foundation and preconditions to make reality intelligible and uh consistent and to provide a consistent foundation for it so the atheist will continually um uh an atheist actually i would say is the most inconsistent worldview uh that actually exists to utterly deny god which is why psalm fourteen one And other places in scripture it actually Says the fool has said in his heart There is no God because To actually deny God's existence Is a futile And foolish Act because You will have to Continually make Absolute claims you'll say things like (laughs) The the Atheist for example the heart atheist The one who says he knows there Is no God is just the Ultimate fool because He just pulled the rug out from under himself for any ability to make an absolute truth claim like that in the first place. The only way we as creatures, as creatures, have any ability to make any claim that anything is is absolutely true and certain is only if one who actually knew everything was omniscient revealed to us things in such a way that we could know them to be certain. So all of us as human beings, as God's creatures, actually do know things to be certain. Even an atheist knows things to be certain. He believes that nature is going to be uniform with certainty. You know, he, he drops a ball. i pick up uh, my headset right here. I drop it. I know that in five minutes from now, things will continue to drop and fall. And atheists believe this too But they can't give you a justification for it They cannot give you a reason for the principle of induction For uniformity in nature All they're going to be able to appeal to is Well that's the way it's always been in the past But that's simply begging the question The the question is, is How do you have confidence it will be that way in the future You haven't experienced the future yet How do you know That it will be that way in the future Now All of God's creatures know that it will Because they've been Revealed this by God so they can Actually exist in his reality And within his creation But when an atheist denies God, he suddenly Just ripped out the rug from underneath His only justification for His belief that nature is uniform Uh, We could take the Laws of logic, we could take morality Uh, We could look at those in the same Way, they will They will; these atheists, for example, in this debate here, will say that um, there's no objective morals. There's no objective objective oughts that we should live by. Things that we ought to live by. There's no standard whatsoever. But yet they'll have this debate as if there is a standard that exists. They'll hold the Christians to the law of non-contradiction, for example. They'll hold the Christian to the standard that the Christian should be honest. That we ought to be honest, but they've denied that there's anything that we ought to live by. So they're living inconsistently with their with their proclaimed worldview. They cannot stand on their own worldview. And so that's the thing fundamentally that we have to understand from a presuppositional perspective. That um, unbelievers cannot and have no ability whatsoever to stand upon their own professed worldview, So I'm going to go ahead and link this debate, I encourage you to watch it uh, Those of you that haven't seen my episodes on presuppositional apologetics, I would encourage you to do that um, And watch my review of the Bonson and Stein debate Um But the debate here, uh, it's on Apologia Studios' uh, YouTube page It's called Epic Debate Over God's Existence Um, I wish the debate was in a little better format Um, I don't think it's the best debate I've ever seen um, On God's existence But uh, it is a good one And it is a solid uh, utilization of the presuppositional um, apologetic So I encourage you to check that out. I will go ahead and link it also in the uh, podcast notes, and um, that way you guys can click on that link and watch that podcast. All righty. Let's see here. Okay, we're going to um, transition to um, our uh, topic for today. And uh, as noted, we are going to be discussing the topic of irresistible grace. We are now within I of TULIP. We've, we've covered um, the sovereignty of God in the first episode on the doctrines of grace. Uh, then we dis- discussed total depravity, um, anthropology. And uh, then we discussed unconditional election. And uh, last week we discussed the topic of limited atonement. Um, I do, however, I was going to make a note of this, and actually I almost forgot. Let me actually pull up. I did make a mistake last week, and I want to—I don't want to call this out um, within this episode—is um, I had used, um, and actually I recognized this right after the episode last week uh, that I should not have used that particular text. Let's see here. And I'm not even finding it right now. I had used a particular text um... Thought it was in James 4 verse 5 and I could be mistaken I'm actually not finding it Let's see here Let's actually pull that up Just really quickly here To see if that is um, James 4 verse 5 See if I'm correct on on that Okay, let's see here Uh not finding it here. I think it was somewhere in James <clears throat> there was a verse I had used um to demonstrate that the term pos uh meant all kinds. I should not have actually used that text because it actually used the term um uh, phylus uh which um maybe it's uh yes, it's actually James three verse seven looks like. Okay, I think that was the verse. I'll have to go back and look at the episode for sure, but I uh, should not have used that text because the, the term kind uh, in that text, it's, the way it's translated in the ESV, would have actually come from the word phylus and so it would not have been uh, a result of uh, the term uh, "pos" or, or pasan, I believe it was in that particular text. So... Um, So I do want to, you know, retract that one particular verse But there was plenty of other examples in the New Testament I think there's like 13 other examples just in the New Testament alone Which uh, demonstrate that the term pos means all kinds or all categories or all types um, Or every kind Um, And it carries that particular meaning and that is determined by the context in in which it is used So I just wanted to uh, make a correction on that uh, For those of you that are listening through this series so, um, well, today's uh, discussion, as I said, is on irresistible grace So we want to get into um, this doctrine And I want to first, uh, as I have in the past, I'm going to go ahead and uh, read um, A definition that I've written on what irresistible grace is And then we'll go into some biblical texts uh, to demonstrate this So, uh First of all, irresistible grace is, and you can also find this definition that I've written on my uh, article on the website entitled, Is Calvinism Biblical? So you can find that, uh, what I'm going to be reading here in uh, in that particular article So this doctrine says that when the Holy Spirit regenerates the heart of the individual that God has foreknown and elected to salvation That individual will without fail come to Christ in faith The regenerated person will always believe and trust in Christ alone for his salvation Because he has been given a new heart with new desires The regenerated person has been given a new spiritual nature That both desires to and can please God And I would be reminded of the text Which says without faith is it impossible to please God and then Philippians 1 verse 29 it says uh, Not only has it been granted to you to believe but also to suffer for his sake so we are both granted faith by God And this faith is by which is the means by which we can be pleasing to God So the one thing that I want to make sure that we do have clear Um, Is what uh, sometimes uh, irresistible grace is straw man And I want to go ahead and uh, deal with that particular um, issue uh, Before we jump into it And uh, I'll do that with uh, two quotes from both R.C. Sproul and John Piper Um, R.C. Sproul says there are two types of calls from God There's the outward call of God And the inward call of God The outward call of God comes from the preaching of his word This is the general proclamation of the gospel You can see this uh, outward call of the gospel uh, Within Jesus' parable On uh, the wedding feast Where he sent out his servants uh, To call all men uh, in But as we see at the end of that particular parable There are many who are called but few who are elected or chosen It's the Greek word eclectos there So R.C. Sproul Says that there are two types of calls From God there's an outward call of God and inward Call of God the outward call of God comes from The preaching of his word many Share the gospel with others But not all who hear the message Receive it the outward call of God can be resisted In fact apart From God's working in us we will Resist this call And so, this is where irresistible grace is often strawman. They'll say, well, you know, people do resist the call of the gospel. Yeah, but that's not irresistible grace. Um, We'll actually uh, keep on going here. The inward call of God in his secret work of regeneration. This is the work of God. Rebirth, a new beginning, spiritual resurrection done in the souls of the elect by the work of the Holy Spirit. This work of the Holy Spirit changes us. God places within us a desire for him. Before the inward call of God, no person is inclined to come to him. After the inward call of God, we respond to God with the gift of faith. The inward call of God cannot be resisted. And that's R.C. Sproul. And that's what we're talking about with irresistible grace. Also, the inward calling of God does not... Occur without an outward calling of God Romans chapter 10 How will they know How will they hear Unless somebody preaches to them So no one is going to Be regenerated And receive the inward call of God Outside of an external Outward proclamation of the gospel And this is why it's so imperative And important for us as Christians Because we are the means By which God calls his elect to salvation so it is imperative and it's important for us as Christians to be evangelistic, um, to go out and proclaim the good news to people. And we can have confidence that God will call people to salvation through the proclamation of that gospel. And that particular um, act of regeneration is a work of God alone. Um, if I go out and give 10 people the gospel and Four people came to know Christ because of that That wasn't because I was a brilliant evangelist That wasn't because I was a brilliant apologist And I did such a fantastic job No, it was because of the working of the Holy Spirit Now, we as apologists and evangelists Should be consistent And proclaim a true gospel Because it is through the proclamation of the truth That people come to Uh To faith in Christ Um, but we don't it is not our uh, eloquence which is what brings people to salvation and faith it is the work of God alone Uh, John Piper also says the doctrine of irresistible grace does not mean that every influence of the Holy Spirit cannot be resisted it means that the Holy Spirit can overcome all resistance and make his influence irresistible and uh, we will go through some text to go ahead and bring that out but so I just wanted to clarify that before we get into the topic of what we actually uh, mean by irresistible grace so um, as we're going to jump into this topic. Um, I want to uh, go to some texts of Scripture. We're going to be focusing mostly in the book of 1 John in this discussion and also John chapter 6 and also a few texts in Ecclesiastes as we go through this. So I'm going to go ahead and transition the screen here uh, to the first verse that we're going to go ahead and look at, and this is 1 John uh, 4, verse 7. Now, I'm building up here to something that... um, Is uh, very important so some of these texts that we're looking at initially don't necessarily have anything to do with irresistible grace but um, I am I am demonstrating a point here of what John is actually teaching here in first John and if and if we're going to remain consistent within first John about how a particular term is used we're going to have to conclude irresistible grace. So that is where we're actually taking this. So so just so you know where we're going with this. So in 1 John chapter 4, uh, beginning at verse 7, uh, it reads here, and you guys should be able to see this on the screen. Let me um, validate that. Okay. So we can see 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 says, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. So in 1 John chapter 4 verse 7 here it says that love is from God and whoever loves and here's the very critical term has been born of God. So the question I would ask here is is the apostle John teaching here that um that we have to love in order to be born of God or do we love because we have been born of God and the answer very clearly according to the ESV here is because we love God is love and love is from God and we love because we have been born of God it is a past tense action and the actual word here in the Greek um, Is Gagenate. Gagenate. And you can actually see it right here. Um, in the Greek text, we have Theon Gagenate right here. Ton Theon Gagenate. Um, and so, of uh, God have been born is literally the rendering here. So, whoever loves um, of God has been born. And uh, Gagente is uh, so it's a verb, so it's a, 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 so we're going to go through here what uh, how that we're going to break down this particular um, verb, Gagenate because it's very important. So it is, a, it is is a verb. It is in the perfect tense. I'll talk about what the perfect tense is. It's also in the um, uh, indicative mood and it is in the middle or passive voice. It's in the third person and it's singular. Okay, So let's go through what that actually means Well first of all it's a verb so it's an action So it's an action that is performed In this case it's an action performed by God Gagenete have been born of God Um, It's also in the perfect tense Now this is a very interesting tense A perfect tense is an action that has occurred in the past And is continuing to the present So it is a past. It's not just a past action. Um, So a past tense verb would be, for example, was. Uh, So that would just be an action that occurred in the past, but does not continue to the present. It was. uh, We could say, for uh, let's say we put uh, inserted a past tense verb in here, we would say, "And whoever loves was born of God." Okay, that was. We we can recognize that as something that occurred in the past, but is not continuing to the present. But has been born of God Means an action That occurred in the past And continues to the present This is the perfect tense within Greek Indicates the continuation and present state Of a completed past action That's actually the definition Specifically of the perfect tense It's also in the indicative mood The indicative mood Means that it's a statement of fact Or actual occurrence um, it's an actual incident that occurred in the past and continues to the present. It's also in the third person. So that means the recipient here, um, it's, not, it's not speaking in the first person like I have been born of God. It's speaking uh, in the third person that it's an action performed um, by God to the third person. And it's also singular it's a personal Thing it's it's one it's an action That has been specific for one Um, and Whoever speaking of a person one person Who loves God has been born of God and Knows God so very clearly in this text And no Christian um, and even an Arminian Would deny that the love that John is speaking of here, and whoever loves, loves in the way that God loves, and a love that comes from God, is the result of being born of God. Well, let's um, let's move to the next text in um, in John that we want to look at. And this is 1 John chapter 3, uh, verse 9. Here we go. First John chapter 3 verse 9 I'll make sure that that is in the screen so you guys can see that Um, So we see here that uh, In first John chapter 3 verse 9 No one born of God Makes a practice of sinning So that's a different um, That's in the aorist tense there Practice of sinning It's continual uh, Continued action For God's seed abides in him And he cannot keep on Once again in the aorist tense a continual practice of sinning, because he has been born of God. Once again, we have the word gagenate here. Um, exact same as we talked about before. It's a verb in the perfect tense, uh, indicative mood, uh, passive voice, third person singular. So uh, we we see it here, right here again in the Greek text. We have been ton theon. Agenite of God have Been born has Been born um, So No Arminian once again would disagree Here that One who does not Continue in a in a Lifestyle or practice of sinning The one who, who Doesn't do this anymore It's because of the result Of having been born of God He has been born of God That That person has been born of God No Arminian would disagree with that Um, So let's also go to another text um, And this is uh, jumping out of 1 John And let's look at how Paul uses the term um, gagenate. So in uh, Galatians Galatians Chapter 4, verse 23. Let's validate you guys can see that. Okay. Uh, Galatians 4, verse 23. It says, but the son of the slave was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born through the promise. So, here we have... Um, uh, Sarka Gagenate um, uh, The flesh uh, Sarka Was born of the flesh was born So no one would Deny here that in Galatians 4 23 That uh, Paul or yeah Paul here Is speaking of uh, Abraham's two sons uh, one born of uh, uh, Sarah uh, which is uh, the free woman and the other one born of Hagar uh, which was Ishmael Ishmael and Isaac here and no one would deny that this is a past action that occurred and because Paul is making a theological content here he's talking about the son of the slave was born has been born according to the flesh Uh, Because he's making A theological application To the present for those that are in Christ and those that are not in Christ So while the son of the free Woman has been born through The promise no one would deny That this is a past action event that occurred Let's now jump Back to First John chapter 5 Verse One Uh Okay, looks like I actually had the wrong text up there. Let's Okay, let's find it here first John chapter five verse one. Let's ensure that you guys can actually see that. Okay, here we go. So in first John chapter five verse one. It says that everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God And everyone who loves the Father loves whoever has been born of him So here once again we have Gagenate in the exact same perfect indicative passive third singular uh, form Here we have Tan Theon Gagenete, of God have been born. And now the contention here is, though, because as a Reformed person who believes in the doctrines of grace, I believe that we believe God and we put our faith and trust in Christ because we have been born of God, because we have been regenerated by the Spirit of God. So everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ, who believes that he is the Messiah, the one who has come to save his people from their sins. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ has been born of God. We are not born of God as a result of first believing. No, we we believe in God and we believe in Christ as the Messiah because we have been Born of God a past action That is continuing to the present And so It's unmistakable here In 1st John chapter 5 verse 1 That Regeneration Is an act of the Holy Spirit by which he Calls his people To repentance and Faith through the act of regeneration Um, Some additional Scriptures I want to look at um, which uh, would talk about and uh, ir- irresistible grace, and it's in Colossians one verse thirteen. He's speaking of, uh, he's speaking to Paul is speaking to the elect believers in in uh, Colossi, and he says here in verse thirteen he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. Here once again we see an action of God in Second Corinthians four verse six. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness. So the same God who in Genesis chapter 1 said, let there be light, has also done this. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We notice in Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 6, it says, and the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. So notice here that the act of circumcision of the heart is what precedes the person loving God with all their heart and with all their soul. It's the act of regeneration. It's the it's irresistible grace all that have been circumcised in their hearts by God will come to God in faith and they will love God as a result of that act of the Holy Spirit in Ezekiel chapter 11 verse 19 uh, God says here he's speaking of the new covenant and says I will give them one heart and a new spirit I will put in them I will remove the heart of stone from their flesh And give them a heart of flesh so that they may walk in my statutes and keep my rules and obey them And they shall be my people and I will be their God So notice once again what precedes the action of us walking in his statutes and keeping his rules and obeying them Which is including God does command men everywhere to repent uh, Acts chapter 17 God commands men everywhere to repent And believe the gospel But the only way we will do that We will always resist the call um, Of the general call of the gospel Um, We will always resist that Outside of the Holy Spirit Regenerating us And giving us a new heart And taking out our heart of stone Uh, Prior to God actually saving us And regenerating us Our heart responded to God In the same way as a rock does uh, you ever try to have a conversation with a rock? You ever try to have fellowship and a personal relationship with a rock? Well, you're not going to get very far. <laughs> and that is exactly how it is with us and God until God Himself takes away the heart of stone and gives a heart of flesh. In Ezekiel 36, verse 26, it says, And I will give you a new heart, and a new spirit I will put within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh. And I will give you a heart of flesh I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules So we see here again the act of God which got by which God proveniently goes in and regenerates a person And calls them then to walk in his statutes And in his ways And in fact this is the cause Explicitly here it says And cause you to walk in my statutes And be careful to obey my rules So this is an act of God This is irresistible The unregenerate sinner um, Does nothing to stop God From taking out his heart of stone And giving him a heart of flesh It's an act of God um, it cannot be resisted. When God determines to save an individual, He actually saves them. Isaiah forty six ten I accomplish all that I purpose. First uh, Peter one three it says, "Blessed be the Lord, be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ." From the dead. So notice it is God who is the cause of us being born again. It's not us. We're not the ones who initiate it. It's not our free will that determines whether we are saved or not. Um, it is a work of God by which He causes us to be born again. In uh, Acts 13, verse 48, uh, this is uh, Luke uh, recording. Um, the proclamation of the gospel to the Gentiles here and says, when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Notice that all those that God had appointed to eternal life irresistibly came to faith in Christ. They believed the gospel because they had been appointed to eternal life. There is no... Unreformed exegesis of this particular Text that can turn this That that can change this Um, Some people will try to say well as many Who availed themselves to eternal Life believed that's not what the text Says the text explicitly says And as many whose were appointed It's an action by God to eternal Life believed In Acts 16 verse 14 we see the uh, Testimony of What happened when Paul Uh, Preached the gospel uh, To a woman named Lydia In the city of Thyatira It says in verse 14 One who heard us was a woman named Lydia From the city of Thyatira A seller of purple goods Who was a worshiper of God It says the Lord opened her heart To pay attention to what was said by Paul So this woman was likely a Jewish proselyte Um, She was Probably Greek but she followed Jewish practices Uh, This was uh, not an uncommon thing of that time We actually see quite a few examples of this I uh, I believe Cornelius in the book of Acts Was also referred to as a worshiper of God Uh, But God opened her heart to pay attention To what was said by Paul And once again it was an act of God By which she was not able to resist and she had no desire to resist the reason we as reformed people believe that we cannot resist the grace of God um, is because our heart has been changed we've been given a new heart that actually desires God so that when God shines his light upon us the light of his word the light of the gospel we we come to it willingly from our own will we come to it willingly because we've been given new desires, we've been given a new heart. We've been regenerated. Um, irresistible grace isn't isn't like you know some guy that's you know has got his heels dug in. He's skidding as God's pulling him along. He doesn't want to go, and God's just drawing him. You know, he's just he's just bringing him even though he doesn't want to come. No regeneration and irresistible grace is the sovereign act by which God takes out the heart of stone, gives the heart of flesh, which has new desires. And with this new desire, he wills to come to God in faith and to trust in him I believe one of the most definitive texts um, on uh, irresistible grace And the doctrines of grace in general is John chapter 6 And so we just want to work our way through that text here And that's how we'll wrap up uh, this particular um, episode but let's just work our way through John 6, and I would encourage any of you guys that are uh, researching the doctrines of grace, uh, looking into this to see if it's true, read John 6. Uh, just just see what Jesus himself uh, says about this. So to give you some context um, here to John 6 is uh, Jesus had uh, done the feeding of, uh, I don't remember if it was the 5,000. I think it was the feeding of the 5,000 in uh, just the previous uh Chapter uh, Let's actually see here Yeah fed the 5000 He had uh, he had fed the 5000 actually in John 6 And so there were people that were following after him After he had done this And he's addressing some of these uh, So called disciples uh, And we'll start at verse 22 And we're just going to work our way all the way through uh, To the end of the chapter Um. So if you can get your Bibles handy I'd encourage you guys to follow along with me But in John 6 beginning at verse 22 It says on the next day This is after he had fed the 5,000 The crowd that remained on the other side of the sea Saw that there had been only one boat there And that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples But that his disciples had gone alone Gone away alone Other boats from Tiberias came near the place Where they had eaten the bread After the Lord had given thanks So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there nor his disciples they themselves Got into boats and went to Capernaum Seeking Jesus so they were still Looking for Jesus they had just been fed And so they're looking for him They see his disciples are gone they see He is gone so they're, they're out Looking for him when they found Him on the other side of the sea they said Rabbi when did you come here Jesus answered them truly truly I say to you You are seeking me not Because you saw signs But because you ate your fill of the loaves So He's He's explaining to them (laughs) Their hypocrisy here The fact that they're not coming to him um, As their savior They're not coming to him as the Messiah They're simply coming to him Because they were impressed With uh, being filled with the loaves Many of them were probably looking at him as Wow okay so So now here uh, we have potential of maybe, you know, overthrowing. We can, you know, this guy obviously has a lot of power. Um, he could provide food for us indefinitely in a conflict with the Romans. Uh, you know, there's a lot of potential here. So let's let's continue to pursue this. So he says, but you ate your fill of the loaves, which is why you are uh, seeking him. Do not work for the food that perishes, but the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him, God the Father has set his seal. And so Jesus here is encouraging them to not not go after food that perishes like the bread that he had given them the other day, but instead to seek for the food that endures to eternal life. Now he's going to say something later on the passage here that really offends them, which which, uh, flows from this here particular statement. But he says here, which the Son of Man will give to you, for on him God the Father has set his seal. So it is the Son of Man who gives the food which endures to eternal life for all who believe. And they said to him, what must we do to do the works of God? So they're saying, they're asking him, so what do we do? What is it that we do to do the works of God? Now this is a very interesting response that Jesus gives them here. Jesus answered them and he goes, this is the work of God that you believe in him whom he sent. So when they asked what works they can do to be doing the works of God, what do they have to do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, no, it's actually the work of God that you believe. It's an act of God. This verse is monergistic to its core. It is a single work of God That you believe in him who he has sent So they said to him Then what sign do you That we may see and believe you So now they're asking him You know what what sign can you give to us That that we may see and believe you Because you know we don't believe you at this point Obviously the five thousand the feeding of the five thousand wasn't enough uh, so what other signs can you give us? what work do you perform? And then they say, our fathers ate manna in the wilderness as it is written he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So basically they're saying, you know our fathers also ate bread like this. Um, you know what what makes you better than Moses? Uh, you know Moses uh, gave us manna, gave our fathers uh, bread. Uh, In the wilderness What is making you so different Give us more of a sign We need to see more than this This was not impressive enough Jesus then said to them Truly truly I say to you It was not Moses who gave you The bread from heaven But my father gives you The true bread from heaven For the bread of God Is he who comes down from heaven And gives life to the world And they said to him Sir give us this bread always So he says that that, uh, that there is a true bread The, the bread that Moses gave Gives parishes and, and it wasn't actually Moses who did it in the first place It was God, it was an act of God And uh, But now God Is giving the bread that comes down From heaven and gives life To the world, and they said give us this bread Always, Jesus said to them I am the bread of life So now he identifies what this bread is I am the bread of life Whoever comes to me shall not hunger And whoever believes in me Shall never thirst But I said to you That you have seen me And yet do not believe So they have seen His miracles They've seen his feeding of the five thousand But yet they don't actually believe in him And then he explains their unbelief Here in verse 37 And this is very critical So he says Yet you do not believe then he says here, all that the Father gives me will come to me. So he's identifying for them why they don't believe in him. They do not believe in him because they have not been given to him by the Father. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. So all those that come to God in Christ in faith, he never casts out. And all those that come have been given by the father to the son for I have come down from heaven not to do my own will but to do the will of him who sent me so Jesus here is giving uh, recognition of his current position of servanthood that in Philippians chapter 2 he says he uh, uh, came in the form of a servant he humbled himself so that he has He's, he's now here to do the will of the Father He has submitted himself here to the will of the Father And he's coming down to do the will of the Father um, and Then he continues on in verse 39 And this is the will of him who sent me So he didn't come to do his own will But the will of him who sent me And now this is the will of him who sent me Who is the Father That I should lose nothing Of all that he has given me But raise it up on the last day So he had just said in the previous verse That all that the Father gives to me will come to me And then he says and this is the will of him who sent me That I lose nothing of all that he has given me But raise it up on the last day So notice a consistent um, uh, Proclamation by Christ here That all those given by the Father to the Son Come to Christ And all those that come to Christ Are raised by the Son On the last day without failure If you have been given by the father To the son He will without fail He will lose nothing And he will raise everyone That have been given to him by the father On the last day You can be assured Of your salvation For this is the will of my father That everyone who looks on the son And believes in him should have eternal life And I will raise him on the last day So back to irresistible grace And I kind of jumped over it But notice all that the father gives to me Will come to me That's irresistible grace right there Everyone that is given by the father to the son Without fail Comes to Christ So the Jews grumbled about him Because he said I am the bread that come down That came down from heaven They said is this not Jesus the son of Joseph Whose father and mother we know I mean, this guy's just a commoner. How is he saying that he's the bread that comes down from heaven that gives eternal life? How does he say, I came down from heaven? How does he have the gall to say this? We know that he was born of Mary and Joseph. How does he say that that I have come down from heaven? So Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. So notice here, the drawing of the Father, irresistible grace, this is the inward call of the gospel, the inward call of regeneration. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him on the last day. Notice all that are drawn to the Son by the Father with irresistible grace are raised by the Son on the last day. Notice it's a a work together of... The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit comes and Regenerates the heart of those being drawn by the Father It is written in the prophets and they will all be taught by God everyone who has heard and learned from the Father Comes to me once again here. We have Irresistible grace everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me and That's because we've been given a new heart so when we hear and we learn from the father we come in faith because we've been given a desire to come to him and to love him and to follow him Um, augustine says here about um, verse 45 it says the the kind of teaching that we are talking about this is uh, augustine uh, from the uh, uh, 4th century it says the kind of teaching that we are talking about is spoken of By the Lord when he says everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me in John 6 45 So if someone does not come to Christ, we cannot correctly say of him. He has heard and learned That he ought to come to Christ But he is not willing to do what he has learned It is indeed absolutely improper to apply such a statement to God's method of teaching people by grace for if as the truth says Everyone who has learned comes. It follows, of course, that whoever does not come has not learned. But who can fail to see that a person coming or not coming is by the choice of his will? If a person does not come to Christ, he has simply made his choice not to come. But if he does come, it cannot be without assistance. Such assistance that he not only knows what it is he ought to do, but actually does What he knows and that sums up Irresistible grace right there but If he does not but if he does Come speaking of the one who comes Who has heard and learned from the father But if he does come It can not be without Assistance such assistance That he has that He not only knows what it Is he ought to do but actually Does what he knows And that is Augustine uh, going on in verse 46 it says Not everyone has seen the father Except he who is from God He has seen the father We're going to actually uh, jump Down here uh, To verse 63 There's quite a bit of text in here So I'm going to actually jump down here Kind of shorten this up here a little bit We're going to jump down to verse uh, 63 um, It is the spirit who gives life The flesh is no help at all Once again it is The irresistible grace Gracious act of the spirit of God Once again I talked about the triune uh, Work uh, Economy of the triune God Who brings about salvation in, In God's people Here we see in verse 63 It is the spirit who gives life The flesh is no help at all But also notice in this verse That while it's also an act of the spirit of God The flesh contributed nothing Contributed nothing whatsoever This is why also it says in Romans 8 verse 8 It says those who are in the flesh cannot please God They have no ability to do anything pleasing to God Uh, The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life But there are some of you who do not believe For Jesus knew from the beginning Who those were who did not believe And who it was who would betray him And he said this is why I told you That no one can come to me Unless it is granted to him by the Father We also, um, I actually had somebody recently tell me that this verse was simply telling that Jesus simply foreknew. Uh, he simply had foreknowledge of what people would do. Um, uh, that's completely refuted here by the text. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father. Um, it doesn't have anything to do with Christ looking forward through time and seeing who uh, it would um Uh, Who would make the choice of believing in him And this is actually um, refuted in John chapter 13 verse 17 He's actually speaking to uh, the disciples uh, during the last supper And this is right after um, he has uh, given uh, Judas He dipped um, uh, the bread with Judas To signify that he uh, was the one who would betray him In John 13 verse 17 says if you know these things Blessed are you if you do them I am not speaking of all of you So he's saying blessed are you if if you do them He's speaking of his true disciples here And he wasn't speaking of, of Judas I am not speaking of all of you I know whom I have chosen So notice here that he didn't choose Judas um, To know these things It says but the scripture will be fulfilled He who ate the bread has lifted his heel against me I am telling you this now before it takes place That when it does play, take place You may believe that I am he And by the way this is a quote from Isaiah 43 10 Which I want to get into sometime with the deity of Christ It's a beautiful example of the deity of Christ here But that's not really the point of this The point of this is that uh, In the end of John chapter 6 Jesus wasn't saying that, um, that uh, he simply uh, foreknew um, those who would make the choice of believing in him No, he says, this is why I told you no one can come to me unless it is granted to him by the Father And then in John chapter 13 verse 17 through 19 He actually says that he's not speaking of all of them uh, that know these things Because he knows whom he has chosen In John 15 verse 16 says you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear Fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name He may give to you So he's telling his disciples here that they did not choose him that he chose them He is the one who chose them that they should bear fruit And so uh, that is um, The end of our discussion here on irresistible grace I uh, hope that uh, this was uh, beneficial to you and uh, you enjoyed this Um, uh, hope you guys uh, join us next week and we will finish up um, tulip and we'll discuss perseverance of the Saints I also encourage you to go ahead and watch the uh, the debate that I referenced And uh, you can go ahead and find that as noted before in the show notes. So thank you for joining us uh, today. And um, send me an email or let me know if you've been enjoying these. And uh, God bless. Don't you know that the unjust will not inherit God's kingdom? And through Adam's offense Condemnation came to man And so